0: Um, so, um, this evening I'm going, to be, um, I'm going to be talking about arcs, what's in an arc, and I'm going to be starting with Noah's Ark, kind of seemed to be the obvious place to start, but I'm going to be going on and looking at Eastgate as an arc, and then finally you and me as arcs. So if Eastgate isn't your home, please forgive me when I do that bit, but just apply some of the things I say to your own church family. Because once we start to talk, you'll see that it actually can apply uh, to anyone, really, any, any church family. Um, if that sounds completely confusing, don't worry. It will probably, probably make sense as we go along. <laughs> All right. So let's start with Noah's Ark now. The story of Noah's Ark is actually found in four chapters in Genesis. And as I didn't think you particularly wanted me to put up four chapters on there and kind of go through it, that's just for anybody that likes to have the references. You can go away and you can read the story of Noah's Ark in Genesis chapter 6 to chapter 9. But I'm going to just summarize. I I would hope most of you know the story of Noah's Ark, but I'm just going to summarize it briefly. Um, God looked at the earth in Noah's day. And his heart was troubled by the wickedness that he saw on the earth. Like the earth had become increasingly wicked since the fall. And actually it says that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Now I know we, there's lots of things that happen in our world that are, are really evil and you know you have to watch the television and news to see that. But it says that um, it was every inclination um of the thoughts of the human heart evil all the time. So it kind of you know, it wasn't a good place to be at that time. And so God decided that he was going to send a flood to wipe out every living thing on the earth, all except for Noah and his family, and the animals that God sent to him to go onto the ark and be saved um, with him. And why Noah? Well, the Bible tells us that. It says Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And it seems that Noah was the only one that did, or he's the only one that we we know of. And that's why God decided that he was going to do something different for Noah. He wasn't going to get caught up in the destruction that was to come. Now, you know what happens next God gives Noah very, very detailed instructions on how to build an ark. And I don't know whether, you know, what Noah's kind of job was before that, but I'm quite sure he'd never taken on a building project of those dimensions before. (laughs) And we're going to look a little bit at Noah later. Uh, This is really mainly about arks. But but suffice it to say, it was quite an undertaking that God gave him. And the ark was going to protect him. And his family and the animals from the coming deluge. Um, and if we just think about, you know, what the ark is for, that's the, really the first thing, that um, Noah's ark, let's see if it worked. No, it didn't work, okay. Uh, not really meant to do that. Never mind. Um, it's only meant to be the first one, but you've got all of them together, so that will save me moving it on for a while. Okay, so the first thing was that Noah's Ark was to be a place of refuge. It was a safe place. It was going to be a safe place in what was going to become an increasingly chaotic and deadly world. And the ark took that into account, that it needed to be a safe place. So when Noah got his instructions for building the ark, it said things like, there was only to be one window, and the window was really high up. So you wouldn't have been able to see out unless you were kind of looking at the sky. But I guess that was because if you were getting tossed about on the waves, then actually you didn't want too much water coming in and sort of sloshing around. And there was one door just one door into the ark. And the story tells us that it was actually God himself who shut the door from the outside. And um, as I said, we'll talk about now a little bit later, but can you imagine what that must have been like? Because it wouldn't have been terribly light in there with one window, would it? And actually, you've got no control over that door. You go in and the door is shut. But again, that was about safety. Nobody could, you know, go and unlock some of the doors when, when Noah wasn't looking God also told Noah to cover the ark with pitch on the inside and the outside, and that was to keep it watertight. And he had Noah build three separate decks and many rooms for the animals that would come um, and for storing food for them. See, if the if, if ark was a safe place, well, it also had a purpose. God's plan was bigger than Noah and his family and a rather unusual zoo, <laughs> but it was, it was also intended to be a vehicle, a vehicle to carry them from one place to another. And the journey was going to take Noah way out of his comfort zone. We've already said that, you know, it would have been quite a scary prospect. But, but Noah didn't know where that ark was going to take him. He just knew that God had told him to build the ark and take his family and take the animals and get inside the ark. And then, well, who knew? And it was taking him away from everything that was familiar to him. And even if, you know, the world was pretty wicked, his neighbors were his neighbors. And it's kind of all he knew. So the idea of just everything disappearing and being left, left behind, that was, that was quite a scary thing. He was traveling into the unknown. But it was part of the bigger plan that God had, which was about repopulating the earth with Noah and his family and the animals. And there was a journey. The ark was on a journey. And for Noah, that journey started with building the ark. And it was necessary because it took them from a place of death and destruction to a place of life. The ark was also a carrier of life. And a releaser of life. And those are the other two points on there. So I guess, you know, being a carrier of um, life was quite obvious. It had Noah and his family and all the animals in it. But actually, the ark was an ark that had great capacity within it. And I don't know how many animals there were on the ark. What I do know is it's not just a pair of every animal. We we kind of tell that story. You know, the animals went in two by two. But when you read through the whole account, you'll find that there's more than one pair. There's seven pairs of most animals and three of the ones that were considered unclean. So there were an awful lot of animals on that ark. And I don't know if you could have fitted all those animals into an ark of that size, you know, in any sort of natural sense But what I do know is that God was able to make that happen. So even if the ark was a bit like a TARDIS, you know, bigger on the outside than on the inside, absolutely, God was able to transport (laughs) all those animals in the ark. I suppose if God could feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fishes, getting all those animals in the ark wouldn't have been too much of a problem, would it? So the ark was a place of refuge, it had a purpose, it was on a journey, it was carrying life and actually there is one more which you didn't get, it was releasing life because when the ark got to its final destination, what it had on board, it released into the world around because if it hadn't done that, then the life would have kind of died on the ark, it actually needed to get out into the world around it. One other thing I was going to say about the Ark was that actually in the Bible it's it's thought of as a type of Christ. And I don't know if you know much about that, what that means. But basically a type of something is where a person or an event or a place, something that happens in the Old Testament foreshadows something in the New Testament. And um, we talk about some things as being types of Christ. And that means that either an event or a person or place in the Old Testament um, is a kind of foreshadowing and a picture of some of the aspects of Christ. And actually, if you think about the ark, you could probably think up lots. And if you go and you kind of Google it, you'll find hundreds of things that people have come up with where the ark um, is a type of Christ. But um, I thought I'd just pick out um, one or two of them um, to, to, to explain to you this evening or to tell you about this evening. So first of all, the ark, like Jesus, was provided by God through grace. See, even though um, Noah and his family were really good compared with everybody else on the earth, they were still sinners. Because we know that after the fall, um, every man that was born inherited Adam's sin. And so God did not have to save Noah and, and the animals and his family. It was through grace that he did that. And because of his love of mankind and the fact that he was willing to kind of populate the earth again and kind of try again really with man. And secondly, the other thing I was going to point out, where it's a type of Christ, was the ark only had one door. And um, we read in the Bible, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That's John 10:9. And then again, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we look at the one door of the ark and we think about Jesus, who is the only door to the Father. And then last of all, the ark was a place of refuge from the storm. And Jesus is our refuge, isn't he, from God's wrath. And Romans 5, 9 to 10 tells us that. It says, Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So what Jesus did is like the, the refuge from the storm of God's wrath for us. And then lastly, on types of Christ, and said, you can find lots more. And these are just ones that I liked. Okay, The ark was protected by its covering of pitch. Um, Noah was told, one of the other things that he was told to do when he built the ark was cover the whole thing inside and outside with pitch, you know, this kind of a waterproof substance. And, um, and it was inside and it was outside that he had to do it. And um, it's it's a covering, really. It's like a covering for the ark. And, of course, we have a covering, don't we? The covering that we have is the blood of Christ. Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And so when when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He He sees what Jesus did on the cross. He sees the blood of Christ, and that's like that covering for us. And it's interesting, actually, I picked that one because if you look at the original Hebrew word for pitch, it's the same word that can get um, translated elsewhere as atonement, which I thought was quite interesting. And something else, another little interesting fact, ararat. Ararat was where the ark came to rest, you remember that. Um, In that that language, which isn't Hebrew, um, but in the original language, some commentators think that it could also mean the curse reversed which, again, was a kind of really interesting one. So for Noah, um, in a way, the curse was reversed for him because he wasn't kind of caught up. But obviously, it has um, some uh, resonance for us when we think about what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so what about Noah himself? How did he feel about um, his God-given um, mission? How did he feel um, about uh, the disbelief? Maybe even anger, maybe ridicule that he would have got from um, his neighbors and the people that knew him. See, in the Bible, it doesn't actually tell us that um, Noah uh, told people. I mean, we we make that assumption. It doesn't tell us that. But um, in 2 Peter, we're told that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So I think, you know, as much as anything else, you can't hide an ark when you're building it, can you? So... You know, I mean, there was that really famous case of some guy that sort of hid this enormous house he built without planning permission behind a giant haystack or something. Do you remember that one? But I think an ark was kind of a different proposition, really. So Noah wouldn't have been able to hide the ark. And, and I am quite sure that he got questions. And when he got questions, well, how was he going to answer them? Um, there's a, a kind of a film about a modern day Noah. And maybe that will give you some idea. Can we just have the lights down? gentlemen. Please.
1: Please. Congressman Baxter has a tendency to embrace the theatrical in his support of this bill. Congressman, let me warn you, you are approximately 10 seconds away from committing censure. Oh, no. Hey, would anyone mind if I close the window? are trained i've seen this circus act before congressman i'm sure saint francis would be envious we however are not you have five seconds you march yourself and your little animal troop out of here now or you will be forcibly removed i'm afraid i can't do that sir congressman these animals are not trained congressman i I think they want me to save them save them from what congressman saving the animals okay all right, I can roll with that. That's a good idea. The flood. A flood? Rolling out? The flood? This has been the hottest, driest summer on record and you say we're going to have a flood. When might we expect this? September 22nd, midday. That's what I was told. Might I ask who told you? Not in front of all those people. Don't say it. Don't say it. God. God. You talk to God? Yes. And God is talking back. Yeah, we hung out a little. Well, time to update the resume. Congressman, your name is being removed from this bill. Obviously, the stresses of this office have proven too much for you. Please have the Congressman removed. No, please, you don't understand.
0: God commanded me to build a park. It's going to raise! It's going to be a flood. Sorry, I, the end bit is not quite so but I couldn't resist it, just getting covered in the kind of poop there. <laughs> so that's Evan Almighty, in case any of you haven't seen it. But, do you know, it, when I watched that film, it, it's obviously just a fun kind of, you know, whatever. But um, it made me think, that scene, what it must have been like for Noah. Because, actually, most people weren't talking to God. So, you know, they come up to Noah building his ark, and they say, you know, what are you doing, Noah? Um... Well, I'm building, building an ark. What for? Well, cause there's going to be a flood and who told you? God told me. Can you, does that give you a feeling for sort of, you know, what it must have been like? Um, that, that actually people weren't going to understand where Noah was coming from at all. And, you know, Noah, um, Noah was a, was a brave man. He had courage. He had to have courage because he had to stand out against, you know, everything else. Everybody sort of believed and thought in his day. And Noah had to trust God because without trusting God, there was no way that he could have built that ark. And, um, you know, when the animals have started appearing, thinking, OK, we'll get on the ark and we'll we'll kind of let God shut the, the door. He um, he put God before anything else. And he believed God. He trusted God. So, as I said, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us um, that uh, Noah did uh, speak to his friends and neighbors. But I think if we know that he was a preacher of righteousness and if we know he couldn't hide the ark, then, you know, he would have been telling his friends and his neighbors. So how does that relate to us at Eastgate or your church and as God's children? Well, I think we have here an ark called Eastgate. And if we look, we're going to see the same things that you would have found on Noah's ark. First of all, Eastgate should be a refuge. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Can anyone tell me where that's found? Oh, well done. Yeah, that's on the Statue of Liberty in New York, and it's part of... um, a sort of a bigger poem that's on a, on a, a sort of a plaque on, this, on the Statue of Liberty. And it says this, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me, I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And I think, you know, that's what we want as a church, isn't it? We want Eastgate to be a place of refuge where people aren't judged, where people are loved and where people are introduced to Jesus, who is the door to the father. It should be a place of freedom and a place of encouragement where you can be yourself. And it should be a place which is full of the presence of the father. Now, that sounds like a refuge to me. It's a place where people can be free to be themselves. And that's something that's really important to us and something that we're continually working on. So we might not always get it right because we're a church full of people and we don't always get things right. But that's, that's the aim. That's the goal. Eastgate also has a purpose. And our purpose, we would say, is extending the kingdom through preaching the good news, through miracles, and through the resources that we can give away. See, for us, one of the things that's important to us is that we give away what God gives us. And, um, we've had many prophetic words over the years about that. Uh, the one that meant the most to us was called the, jo- we call the, um, Joseph anointing, where we were told we had a Joseph anointing. Well, what did Joseph do? Joseph gathered, didn't he, in the good years, all the, um, all the kind of grain and the food, and he stored it up. And so in the, in the years that came, he was able to be a resource to the people of Egypt and to all the surrounding area. And so we see ourselves as actually having something, um to give away. We have that as a purpose. And then we have a forty year vision, which is quite out there. So sort of most of us who are leaders at the moment are not likely to uh, still be leaders in forty years. That would be a miracle. Um, <laughs> but, um, but we have a forty year vision, which is that we are a regional catalyst to create heaven on earth. Because we want what we, what's possible for us because of what Christ did for us, you know, to be a reality in the area around us, in all the kind of areas of life, whether it's health, education, whatever. That's part of our um, our 40-year vision. So that's the purpose that we think God has given us. And like Noah's Ark, we're also on a journey, Now, the journey here started many years ago with um, a a group of teenagers, really, who were meeting with with their youth leader, and then Pete Carter came to lead the church, I think in 1988, looking at Kerry, hopefully, if you think so, and and at that time, actually, it was a very small church. My husband and I joined in about 1992, and uh, I guess... It felt like there was about fifty people there, and when the kids went out, half the people went out because we've always had a lot of kids in the church. So we sort of left in these sort of two rows um, in the in the early nineties, and that you know was part of our journey. Um, it started with a few people, but it was a few people whose heart was. Um, to trust and follow God and to, uh, you know, go where he called them. And that is still where we are today. So we look very different. You know, if you particularly on a Sunday morning, if you come, you know, I don't know. I think we've got 500 plus members or something now. And um, that's very different to where we were back in the early 90s. And so we still have that heart for God and we want to walk where God calls us. But it's going to look different um, with the number of people we have and also just the journey that God has taken on, us on. I'm not going to go through all the journey you'll be um, relieved to know. But like, like Noah's Ark, that journey has taken us as a church out of our comfort zone. It's taken us out of the familiar and it's taken us to places that we didn't expect to go, places we didn't expect to be. And um, it's been a huge adventure, but at times it's like, how on earth are we going to do that? But um, because the, the faith was there that God knew what he was doing. And well, if God said it, there must be a way to do it. Peter always says, God says it and we do it. But we work out how afterwards. And I think that's actually very true. So that's not always comfortable. Because there's a lot of um, getting out of your comfort zone and a lot of change. And if you kind of came here expecting a quiet life, it's just never going to happen in this place. <clears throat> yeah. See, we could have chosen not to go on the journey or say, you know, that's too hard. And particularly when we sort of look at things like the building here, you know, there were lots of setbacks and sort of struggles with that. And, you know, we're um, going to be opening a primary school and there have been all sorts of kind of struggles and difficulties with that along the way. And you could just say, oh, that's too hard. That's too hard for us. But you see, if we did that we would have been choosing to... Uh, we would have been choosing death over life. Now, not literally. You know, I don't know we're saved. I know, you know, everything else. But, but actually, we would have really lost something because it's like the Spirit moves on with what the Spirit's doing. And, you know, sadly, we all know movements and, and churches that have just kind of been wonderfully alive and vibrant and then just died away, Really? But you have to stay with what God is doing. You have to be willing to move when God moves. You have to be willing to go where God calls you to go. Because that's where the life is. That's where the life of God is with what he's doing at this time and in this generation. We carry life here at Eastgate. And um, I guess um, that's kind of obvious because you're here. But we carry the life of the Spirit The presence of God and there couldn't be any more life than that and you see it in the things that we value so we value his presence we value freedom we value joy we value miracles we value healing and as I said we want to give it away if the animals hadn't come off the ark then the world would have been a poorer place for it It wouldn't have it wouldn't have um it wouldn't have existed I suppose but actually we believe that what we have we're meant to give away and there are lots of ways that we're able to do that as a church. And whichever church you're in, there'll be things that your church does that gives away, you know, part of who they are. And um, that's also part of your purpose because God gives us, you know, we, we have common purpose, preaching the good news and stuff. But you will have specific things about your church that God has given you, your purpose for your generation and for where you are. But... Um, as we, as we release those things into our community through whatever it is, then we release life into the community. So that's Eastgate as an arc. What about you and me? Oh, excuse me. Can I get a refill, please?
1: Coming right up. Thank you. Excuse me. Are you, are you all right? Yeah. No. It's a long story. Well, I like stories. I'm considered a bit of a storyteller myself. My husband? You heard of New York's Noah? <laughs> the guy who's building the ark. That's him. I love that story. You Noah know, in the ark. You know, a lot of people miss the point of that story. They think it's about God's wrath and anger. They love it when God gets angry. What is the story about, then, the ark? Well... think it's a love story about believing in each other? You know, the animals showed up in Mm -hmm. pairs. They stood by each other, side by side, just like Noah and his family. Everybody entered the ark side by side. But my husband says God told him to do it. What do you do with that? Sounds like an opportunity. Let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience, or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If they prayed for courage, does God give them courage, or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for the family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings, or does he give them opportunities to love each other? got to a lot of people to serve enjoy
0: okay i just love that i love this whole film actually as you probably gathered but i couldn't show you the whole film i could have done that maybe instead of the preach but there you go okay see god is um, when we look at something like Eastgate or the church that you belong to, it's made up of you and me, isn't it? It's made up of us. And so God is interested in the, in the church family of Eastgate or whatever church you're in. But actually more than that, he's interested in the individuals within it. And he's given us those opportunities to work together, to love one another, to um, share lives together, and to work together to extend um, his kingdom. And the same things we just talked about, really, with Noah's Ark and with Eastgate are the same um, for us. So we should be safe places. What does it look like for you and me to be a safe place? Can people trust you? Can they trust you to be truthful? Can they trust you to be honest? Can they trust you that you want the best for them rather than being self seeking? Can they trust you not to judge them? Can they trust you not to gossip about them? Can they trust you to keep your love on, as Danny Silk would say, if any of you know him? And can they trust you to do what you say you will? And that's the challenge for all of us, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I'm not always perfect in all those places. God is still working on me. But God gives us opportunities time and time again to practice being more like Christ. And he'll, he'll challenge us. And, you know, those little kind of conscious conscience thoughts that kind of go through our head. Because God wants us to be all that he's called us to be. He wants to be the arcs, the individual arcs that he's called us to be. He wants us to be safe places for people. He wants us to know that we have a purpose and to know what our purpose is. Now, again, you know, we have common purposes. You know, we love God. We're here to love God, to trust him, and to extend the kingdom. And I believe to play a part in the family of God that he's put us in, whether it's here or in another church family. Because we're not meant to be lone, lone Christians. We're meant to um, work together, be together. And so we're individual arcs, but we also become the ark that is Eastgate or other, other church you belong to. See, the Bible tells us that he has prepared us for good works, that he prepared in advance for us to do. So in the same way that Noah had to prepare the ark before the flood came then God has prepared us and he is preparing us and will continue to prepare us because we're on a journey with him. He, He prepared you and he is preparing you for the journey ahead. If you're on a journey with him, then he is at work in you. And even when he put you together, he knit you together in your mother's womb, he knew what he was doing. So he gave you your personality For example, he's given you your passions and he's given you your purpose. Now, if you don't know him, then you're not going to know that tonight. But the amazing thing about um, Father God is that he, he issues an open invitation. If you don't know him, you can know him. You can start on that journey. You can start knowing what your purpose is. And you know what? He gave you great capacity. You are bigger on the inside on the outside and that is because you have him within you you have the Holy Spirit and for the Holy Spirit nothing is impossible and nothing is too difficult you carry life within you because you have his life within you and when you know that guess what you can release life when you're um, a safe place when you walk in your purpose when you embrace the journey that god takes you on when you know who you are and what you have and the authority you have then that's how you change the world because you release what he has given you and every single one of us is able to do that now you know, there are many um, sort of mighty deeds that have been done by Christians over the year and I was preaching um, a few weeks back on, uh, on perseverance and I mentioned William Wilberforce because William Wilberforce was a man who had great perseverance and through that um, eventually came about the Abolition of Slavery Act. So that was a, a mighty deed, that was a great deed. It wasn't just him, there were obviously other people involved but, but he persevered with that. And you know, we all have our kind of um, sort of spiritual heroes if you like, who've done sort of amazing Things as Christians. But all of us are able to be world changers. And we can do pretty mighty deeds you know here we've um we see people often healed when they're prayed for and um you know in our healing center we see that as well we've seen different miracles that god has done through people actually stepping out and believing god and taking hold of something so all of us have that within us all of us can pray for the sick all of us can you know speak to our neighbor um i you might mostly have heard this one but i'll just share it again just because it's fun um One of the um, other directors, Tim, his wife, Emily, um, she had her uh, Sainsbury's, I think it was, order, shopping order delivered a while ago. And um, as it as they kind of came up to the door with with all the stuff, she realized that unusually there were two uh, delivery men rather than one, which is if you get Sainsbury's deliveries, you know, you normally just get one man. But she got two. And um, they told her that the reason that they got two was because one of these guys had a really bad back and couldn't lift properly. And it was an ongoing problem. It wasn't just, oh, it's going to get better. So I don't know, perhaps Sainsbury's just being kind of kind and letting him carry on, I don't know. But um, it, was, it was a kind of an ongoing problem that he had. So Emily had a bit of a fight with God. You know, do you have those fights with God sometimes? So Emily's thinking, I really should offer to pray for him. See, because she knows she's an ark. She knows she carries the life of God within her. She knows that she can release it. But actually, it's still difficult to do. And, uh, you know, we have to kind of get over that fear. But she did. And she she said, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe that God heals. I've seen people healed. Can I pray for you? And he sort of went, oh, no, I don't think so. And, um, you know, then told her there was no point really because it, it couldn't get better because of the problem that it was and so on. And she said to him, well, what have you got to lose? Which I thought was a good line, really. So, um, he, so he said, oh, well, okay. So she prayed for him. And then off he went with the other guy in the Sainsbury's um, delivery van. And Emily thought, well, you know, she's she's prayed for people before in, in not that circumstance, but similar ones, and they've gone off, and you know, you don't perhaps hear any more. A, a few hours later, she got a call from the Sainsbury's depot, and they said, "Are you Mrs. So and So? Lives at So and So?" She said, "Yes." So they said, "Did you pray for one of our <laughs> delivery drivers?" So she said, "Yes." So they said, "Well, he's basically skipping around the depot like a lamb, no pain." So, yeah, absolutely and then the um, the end of that story actually was that uh, a week or two later um, uh, she got her sainsbury's delivery again and lo and behold it's the same delivery man on his own this time and he said since she had prayed for him he had had no pain and he said there's a queue of people down at the sainsbury's depot wanting you to kind of come in and pray for them so do you know what she did something very small that can change the world. So don't ever, you know, think I can't do anything to be a world changer. Last clip.
1: Hey. Hey. What are you doing here? Just hanging out with some old friends. You knew all along, didn't you? You knew the dam was unstable. That meant for the ark, my family, the neighbors. I fought you every step of the way. Yes, but you did it. So you had nothing to do with the flood?
0: Like, where the Ark landed, exactly?
1: I gave you a little shove at the end. Sue me. (laughs) You did good, son. You changed the world. No, no, I didn't. Well, let's see. Spending time with your family, making them very happy. Gave that dog a home. Right, so... So, how do we change the world? One act of random kindness at a time. One act of random kindness. Wow. (laughs) It's time. Do the dance. Care to join me? (laughs)
0: <laughs> see we can all change the world i mean he would say an ark a random act of kindness one random act of kindness and it is actually as simple as that it is, it is it's actually knowing what god has given you and knowing what you have to give and if it's as simple as you know given a dog a home and he said there but if it's a simple little thing or if it's praying for someone or if it's being brave enough to step outside your comfort zone like Emily did and share something of God you can change the world so that's my thoughts on what's in an ark I hope it's encouraged you this evening and if nothing else remember that if we follow God's plan and stay faithful to who he's called us to be we can change the world